0: Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast slogan. Uh, My name is Whitney Seibold. I am a film critic uh, of absolutely no renown. And uh, with me, as always, is my uh, far more talented, charming, and better articulated co-host. William, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Uh, because, Because I'm waiting for you to give yourself your proper due...
0: Humility is a little
1: overrated, I feel, but. uh,
0: I can give myself a Mountain Dew anyway. Well, that would be delicious for you. Uh, No, actually, it wouldn't. I hate Mountain Dew. I regret saying that immediately. Wait, we
1: have commercials now. Just wait. We were just brought to you by Mountain Dew or something. Oh, there we go. No doubt.
0: Brought to you by Surge. Oh, God. Remember Surge and Fruitopia? Brought to you by Orbits.
1: My name is William Bibbiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. I am honored to be here, as always, with one of my favorite film critics in the world, Whitney Seibold. Oh, This is Critically Claimed, and we are reviewing some new releases this week, and those new releases are Marvel's Eternals, Bob L- Lorraine's Spencer, the new Netflix western The Harder They Fall, the post-apocalyptic robot movie Finch. And the turn of the century biopic, The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne. Okay. If you would like to see The Electrical <laughs> Life of Louis <laughs> Wayne, press oh, one. What would you like to talk about first, William? Well, let's talk about the big one, I guess. Uh, that we 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 usually go in like.
0: Highest like, profile release, yeah, the, the, most advertised, highest a, earner, whatever, whatever you want to say. a decent chance the
1: majority of our listeners want to hear about it because our right. listeners would have seen it. Uh, and let's talk about Marvel's Eternals. This is the myth film in the Marvel cycle. It's the
0: 26th film in the Marvel cycle. Uh, Yeah, this is Avengers part 26. Um, Surpassed James Bond at this point.
1: Good for them. Is 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 that only the Eon Productions though? Um, I think if if you include like Never Say I, I Never think, Again in the no 1960s time, Casino Royale. I think No
0: Time to Die was the 25th Eon production of, okay. of the James Bond so we got series. This, so basically so, by,
1: by mid-next year, Marvel will surpass James more Bond. More or less. I'm... I, yeah.
0: I, I'm actually don't know what the next one is and i don't really care someone um,
1: asked me online what my favorite james bond movies were and i included some of the non-eon films uh, like never say never again i sure 1960s, a, a lot Royale. of the
0: sticklers said hey wait a minute well someone
1: pointed out that like the ocd part of me just mm. can't, isn't comfortable seeing those and i'm like the ocd part of me isn't comfortable not including them i want to include every <laughs> single james <laughs> the, bond in as, there, as complete you know? as possible just because eon didn't um, make it doesn't mean it's not real and but uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe has been going strong right from the beginning. Started mm. big, it only got bigger, and uh, now and it's, it's getting a little bit weirder.
0: And, and it's still big. Uh, they're they're reaching into a, a corner of the Marvel Universe that was typically referred to as the cosmic part of the universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just took place in space, but dealt with a pantheon of gods. Yeah, uh, There is a pantheon of gods in the Marvel Universe. Uh, Quite a just, few,
1: actually. Mm-hmm. Many of
0: them competing. And I'm not just talking about Thor. Thor is just some dude. Uh, yeah. compared, I mean I'm talking about these gigantic, massive, usually depicted as like 200-foot- tall deities. yeah that control and make up the very uh, warp and weft and fabric of the universe.
1: Many of whom are, like, sort of responsible for different parts of the universe. Mm-hmm. There's the Living Tribunal, which is responsible for keeping things balanced in the universe. Mm-hmm. There's Eternity, the being in which all the universe lives within. Mm-hmm. We're just a tiny infinitesimal part of one guy. Yeah. That's yeah. That's, that's that's the Marvel that, Universe. It's a weird eternity. place.
0: And they, they kind of hinted at a lot of this stuff before uh, in... Guardians of the Galaxy, Eternity Mm -hmm. was Uh, name-checked. There was a a, a sequence that takes place inside the head of a Celestial. And uh, a Celestial is a a robot-looking being, cosmic being, a deity of some kind, that creates planets. Yeah, well, it kind of creates
1: life in the universe, as we find here. And Um, uh, and
0: there are many of them, and there is a Celestial called, is it Asherim? Erishem. Erishem. And Erishem... has uh, communication with this uh, race of immortal beings called Eternals. Uh, They are sent to uh, Earth at the beginning of this movie uh, in ancient times, ancient Earth. They they land on Earth 7,000 years ago. Right, pretty much at the start of intelligent life. Uh, well, at the start of civilization, and well, that's uh, the, what I mean. the idea yeah. is that, and they're there to fight these uh, gangly monsters called deviants, mm-hmm. uh, and protect human beings from these deviants, which that are cro- basically crop up the, from time to time. which are basically the the predator that hunts intelligent life. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and not only are they're not only there to hunt these deviants, but they're also there to essentially uh, aid humanity in evolution and make sure. Uh, civilization thrives. So, uh, one of them, uh, is an inventor and there's a sequence where, uh, one of the eternals says I've invented a steam engine. And they say, "Mm, you're a couple thousand years too early for that. says, okay, well I'll help them invent a plow. Mm. Uh, the eternals are, uh, they're, they're just like superheroes. Mm. Uh, the Trekkie part of my brain wishes they had looked a little bit more like aliens, like a space alien of some kind. They don't look like space aliens. They look like regular human beings. They're played by actors like Gemma Chan. She plays a character named Circe, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Richard, uh, Richard Madden plays a, a heroic named, type named
1: Icarus. Icarus, uh, the, Angelina Jolie plays a warrior named
0: Athena. The,
1: the, uh, and uh, it kind of goes on
0: like that. The idea is that uh, they have names like uh, beings from ancient mythology because we as humans received the names from these space aliens and incorporated them into our mythology. Yeah. Uh, I like that. That's fun. I, that, I like this sort of alternate uh, view of human history as aided by space aliens. There's something very Star Trek. About well, I mean,
1: it. It, but it's been here since pretty much the beginning. Yeah. Thor already articulated that that Asgardians mm. are just a race of godlike, very long living mm. aliens, and they visited Earth a few times and kind of got welded into our history because they really liked mm. Norway for some reason.
0: They they were a little too. Uh, Thor is a little too concerned with what's going on in like his home dimension of wacky frost giants and swinging hammers and stuff. Right, and then then he starts tooling around with like Captain America. It's like it, right. Well, he's I'm not, just he's talking about the basic of, conceit. He's not I'm in charge about the, of the, the grand of uh, sort of growth of humanity as a species. So we get to see uh, throughout a long series of flashbacks where these Eternals were uh, throughout the course of human history until we finally um, skirt our way up to the present where uh, we've sort of been given all of this backstory. Uh, This is a film directed by Chloe Zhao, who just won an Academy Award for Nomadland, which also won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Mm. And uh, Chloe Zhao is known for downbeat indie dramas that deal with a lot of sort of natural light and the natural world. Nomadland is very much about the unseen parts of America and what that looks like. Uh, And... She's a very odd choice to make a superhero drama, but I think she does a really good job of that sort of Arthur C. Clarke notion of incorporating these superhero characters into the broader scope of human history. And there are a lot of really wonderful, very beautiful shots, very naturally lit, actual location shots, Mm -hmm. which is very refreshing, of uh, the Eternals sort of having conversations about aiding humanity and how they feel about that. I like all of that stuff. All of the superhero stuff is bad. <laughs> All the
1: superhero stuff is really is just kind of generic. I mean, it looks yeah. fine. I mean, there's some it clear, looks fine, there's but some it, neat stuff here and there. But, but like,
0: they have pretty typical superhero powers. Yeah. One of them can create illusions in the air. One of them can fire little blasts out of his hands. One can mm. fire little blasts out of his eyes. One of them is very fast. Mm. One of them can heal
1: things, mm. etc. And these, there's nothing wrong with no, these but, things. But there's also because these are godlike beings. Who have been around for many thousands of years? There's no sense of wonder to these things. They're just things they do. Mm. And there's which, something which... kind of there's something kind of interesting about just people who've been around for so long that the wondrous is humdrum. Mm. Uh, but it's also not necessarily the most exciting thing to watch is to see them cut loose on stuff that to them is old hat. Yeah. So the, the, the action actual, is
0: the, the the action and the fight scenes are like the least engaging parts of and No, they're the
1: parts I remember the absolute mm. least.
0: There, there's a, a, a kind of a fun one in, like, a forest thicket. Uh, mm. And by the time we get to the present day, the Eternals have essentially split up. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of them had uh, relationships. In fact, Icarus and Cersei were married at one point.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't think they ever really divorced. They just sort of drifted apart. Well, I mean, it, it's... Mm. There's a, a character <laughs> named Kingo, played by uh, Kumail Nanjani who... Uh, broke off and became multiple generations of Bollywood stars. Yeah, so
1: it's like... Because so he's
0: eternal. He's it, been posing as, like, multiple generations. So he's been,
1: like, making movies, like, since the silent era, and whenever it feels like he should be getting older, he's just replaced by, oh, it's his son! His son yeah. is taking over the family acting dynasty, and he's been doing this for a while. Mm. Uh, Kumail Nagiani is funny, because he's Kumal Nanjiani, mm. and he brings a lot of levity into this sometimes kind of dour proceeding, and it's... Oftentimes, that sort of Marvel quippiness is so it, it's so dense. There's so much of it mm. that it no longer feels special. Here, we need it a little bit. Well, we it, needed a little bit of humor here, a little bit of it's levity, ponderousness
0: that's leavened by humor. Yeah, and, and I appreciate actually the, the Chloe Zhao's balance between those things. Yeah, uh, there's a character named Sprite played by Leah McHugh, and uh, she's a uh, Sort of an androgynous figure, and mm. she is also uh, very young in, in the body of a twelve year old. she's just as old as all the other people, right. but uh, the way that uh, she's always been twelve, just the yeah. the way she's. Been and when you're created, trying to live amongst they're... the
1: humans, that's incredibly mm. limiting. However, it should be noted that her power is to present illusions. Mm. and when we first meet them in the movie in the present day, oh. they are using their illusions to look like an adult. And one can't help but wonder, why can't one just do that? Doesn't that kind of solve your problem for the most part? <laughs> I mean, there, there's still some limitations mm. to it, but a lot of the things you complain about, you could just wave away with a flick of your hand. Mm. So, minor inconsistency well, um, there. No. Uh, minor character inconsistency.
0: Uh, there's um, a character named Makari, played by Lauren Ridloff. She's uh, she's the fast runner. Uh, she's also deaf and, mm-hmm. and, and communicates through sign. Uh, I heard some, and it's presented completely incidentally. I, I appreciate like
1: that. that. I saw some people complaining online. This is the stupidest oh, thing. But I saw were, some people complaining yeah, online is not like, a
0: conversation we should ever have. I just so. want
1: to make one complaint. If, right. if you found this distracting, I just want to make this point. Some people were like, hey... Like American Sign Language hadn't been invented yet, five, <laughs> like eight thousand years it ago, and, a I'm like, 20th and I'm like, they're, yeah, they're also all speaking English. Just well, go with it.
0: <laughs> and that's something I wish they had addressed a, a little yeah. bit. Like, get into like the techniques, Like, here's the translator, or we're speaking Eternals language uh-huh. now. They're all just, just using their own voices. We just but accept it. We just I, we, accept we that. no, we don't care. We don't even need yeah. to um, even go through that motion. I think. Yeah, there's a character named Gilgamesh. Yep. Uh, no. I guess we named Gilgamesh after him. Yes, uh, the, the yes, ancient, did. ancient Sumerians named Gilgamesh after yeah. him. It's played by an actor named Don Lee. He uh, has uh, super powered boxing gloves. Essentially, yeah. just slam his fists into stuff. Yeah, he's great. I love that actor. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Athena
1: was, of course, played by Angelina Jolie, and she was, of course, was
0: the basis for Athena. Hmm. Not, not uh, although, none too subtle. Although they, she even corrects somebody in dialogue. Oh, your name is Athena. No, it's just Athena. No, A. And uh, the leader of the group is Ajax. I'm guessing we named Ajax after Ajax, uh, played by Selma Hayek. Mm-hmm. And she is the one who can communicate with the celestial being about their multiple millennia mission on Earth. And, yeah. uh,. Partway through the movie, we do get this huge exposition dump as to the nature of their mission. Like, why? Um,
1: it's 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 cool that the that the celestial mm. sent these Eternals to Earth to protect humanity from these monsters. But one has to wonder what's in it for the celestial. And when we find out what's boy, up yeah, in it for the celestial, there's this sort of just like, oh shit, that's not entirely good. But and I do appreciate this, and I think this is one of the most interesting things about it.
0: Also not entirely bad. Not entirely bad. In yeah, fact, there's in fact there's the, a, a, a grand bit of ambiguity to there. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of, there's basically uh, life and death and the destruction of planets and the saving of planets and the human existence and all alien life that, uh, that we've been introduced to in the universe. Um, the comings and goings of that, the life and death of that serves a function in the universe. Mm. And to protect, say, a species from being destroyed does have a ripple effect and can mm. actually have problems, which is when, you know, species before humanity came around, mm. species did go extinct once in a while. Yeah. It happened with less frequency and less. We're accelerating it. And that's, and that's a problem because we're, we're, we're fucking up this natural order, but there's also something to be said for, you know, like, Oh, well, should we cure death? Isn't death part of it? Isn't death part of the natural life process? Should this endangered species be protected? Or are they an important part oh of the God. ecosystem? The, the The movie touches upon these things, and I really, really appreciate that. I like that these are characters who are basically gods, and Chloe Zhao treats them as gods. They may not be the gods that we know, but they're in. They affect the gods that we know. They represent the gods that we know throughout a variety of different religions. Even They even make a point, like, various characters in the movie equate them
0: to DC Comics superheroes, which is weird. It's it's weird, but it's apt. Um, Very apt. And uh, this is a conversation uh, we had in high school a lot, that uh, Marvel characters uh, take place in the real world. They live in New York City, and they tend to be very grounded. They deal with real-world problems. They are super-powered beings, but they still have to, you know, get a paycheck. Yeah. Uh, Whereas... The DC comics characters tend to be more godlike figures. You have Wonder Woman, who is a god, more elevated. Yeah, yeah, we have Superman who's this like yeah. immortal, essentially an indestructible alien. Yeah,
1: he has a job, but he doesn't need a job.
0: Yeah and that's kind of important. Like um, he, he's he's trying to assimilate uh, and you have your space cops like uh, uh, the Green Lantern. So this is Marvel kind of, ex- so kind of acknowledging
1: is... that basically these modern deities that we have in our fiction mm-hmm. are also probably directly or indirectly influenced by these yeah, the, Eternals as the, well. The, the so basically invented, Marvel and... is saying, hey, you like Superman? You're welcome.
0: Yeah, here's,
1: here's Superman. <laughs> Which is like, Superman <laughs> didn't come first, Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> it's a brassy move. I'm going to yeah. say that right now. Um, but my point is this. These are gods and we are experiencing the world through their godlike eyes, mm. through their godlike experience, and looking through many, at ourselves, through and their looking eyes, at ourselves yeah. through that experience. But also, as the movie reveals more and more about why they are here, we are realizing that the Eternals and the gods that they believed in were not to be trusted. <laughs> that actually, a, uh, a undying, unquestioning devotion mm. to A higher power or uh, a... A greater, grander cause. A grander cause, perhaps, or even just some sort of nebulous entity that seeks ultimately only to self-perpetuate itself. And even if it does some good, it is ultimately exploiting those underneath them. Uh, That's a bold thing to put in a blockbuster, especially one coming from Disney. (laughs) <laughs> was because it ends up getting feeling a little subversive coming mm. from Disney. Or coming from someone making it under Disney's banner, oh, rather. Yeah. Um, reminded a bit of the Tim Burton Dumbo, which argued that the very worst thing anyone could ever do was sell their
0: creation to Disney. Yeah, uh, weaponizing uh, the imagination, uh, the use of the word dream in that Dumbo movie is, mm-hmm. is pretty sinister.
1: Yeah, it's uh, an underrated uh, film, yeah. I
0: feel. There, there's a lot of really interesting ideas and themes at play in Eternals. This idea of uh, faith and fanaticism is a big part of it. The idea of the grand place of humanity and the superheroes' place in it. Mm-hmm. Um, or I, I don't want even say superheroes. Uh, immortals and deities within, like pr- within practical ground level uh, interaction with humanity, well,
1: or one could even argue that that relates mm. to mm. humanity's itself, our ability to dramatically mm. affect our surroundings, our ability yeah, to change the, the climate, our ability to change the geography of the planet, mm. our ability to blow things up. Are these not godlike things?
0: Uh there's also this uh the idea of you know if if there are gods among us why aren't why are there bad things still happening and the argument of the movie is we do that shit uh-huh. uh we're responsible for it but we it also, make we're making our own
1: decisions it also argues that gods and this is something mm. i like because it's a little cynical mm. Gods don't care about that shit. Yeah. Gods care about their own shit. They have their own things that they care about
0: and all the things that we care about, they they, don't really care. They care about because these are Eternals. They're, They're thinking of things in terms of millennia. They don't care about, you know, this one war that's only going to last a mere century. That'll be over soon enough. Things will pick back up again. Yeah. It's like, well, what about the century of atrocities? It'll end eventually for us. And we'll just keep on living. Yeah. For us, we'll still be alive, even though, you know, millions of people are dying. It's
1: it's like, for them, it's Uh, like losing... mm. Some some of them are very empathetic towards humans and they really, really care. Others are basically just like, yeah, are you really going to lose sleep because an ant colony outside hmm. your door lost a war with the crickets. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, no, <laughs> hmm. it's... The, the termites killed all the ants. So yeah. Yeah. Like, there's, okay.
1: Those... But bummer for the ants, yeah. but I'm not going to lose like, any sleep over I still over have to it. go to work. Yeah. yeah. It's... I got my uh, own shit.
0: So uh, there's, and what I appreciate about the, the Eternals as well is even though they're, um, they've been expressly directed by their, god boss not to interfere with uh human history or anything I mean, that has nothing to do with uh deviance so uh mm. that explains why they weren't around in previous marvel films yeah there were no deviants, uh, so it's not their business yeah they like, have one job it's like well what about what about that not? ultron thing well ultron's your own business you made yeah. that take care yeah. of it knock yourself out <laughs> yeah, yeah. We didn't, we didn't <laughs> we're, we're not shit. coming into here to save you yeah. uh we're we're thinking in terms of millennia uh All of that is really, really fascinating. I love that it's all being brought up. And uh, these characters, uh, even though they're letting sort of humanity uh, sort of hurt themselves from time to time, they're still, they're full of love. And that's not something you get from a lot of these other superhero characters. They're usually motivated by determination or justice Mm -hmm. uh, or, uh, you know, some sort of self-interest. Uh, hmm. They're not really motivated by deep compassion, and I think that's yeah. the greatest strength of Eternals, yeah. is it is a deeply compassionate film that loves the characters and the characters love each other. And when and, they and many of them love yeah, humanity, and, that, and when yeah, they and that have a connects. when they have a falling out, it actually has a, a profound effect on their relationships and the way they operate. Um, yeah. It it feels a lot more honest this time around. Uh, yeah. It's really unfortunate that this has to be a superhero film because the action is really kind of murky and uninteresting. Yeah, and seeing them walk around in the superhero costumes and talking about like Tony Stark and Captain America. Here's,
1: all, here's, like yeah. all of the
0: however grand the machinations of sort of the Avengers plots have been. You know, mm-hmm. we're we're building up to this gigantic fight where there's just going to be a thousand people together fighting an army of evil aliens. Yeah, it's actually all pretty simple. Yeah. It it might be a lot of it, but it's a really simple story, and uh, now we're dealing with sort of these bigger ideas about sort of the vast scope of human history and the motivations of gods living among us, and it makes the Marvel Universe seem kind of piddling in comparison. Well, yeah, because it is, mm. in
1: comparison to, like, the vast history of the universe, the Marvel I mean, it's an interesting anecdote in the history of the universe, but is it really the biggest deal? No. Mm. The one time it almost was a big deal, we reversed it in five years. Yeah,
0: five, <laughs> so, which is nothing to it, an eternal. Not, nothing so, yeah.
1: whatsoever to an eternal,
0: so there who cares? Yeah, we were delayed like, five years. So what? Five yeah. years? I've been alive for 7,000 years. I, I'm with you on this, and I think it's it's really nice
1: to see a superhero movie of any kind, of any, from any particular hmm. uh, franchise, doesn't really matter, That has some really big things on its mind, that really wants to use the idea of larger-than-life beings uh, to explore issues that are beyond the scope of a typical film. Many Marvel movies, and I think even DC movies, are interested in very typical things. Human foible, human human frailty, Mm. ego uh uh fanaticism or whatever like there's well I guess this deals with fanaticism too, but like you know there's 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 a certain formula to it. this breaks that formula, and but- I appreciate that so every single time it reverts to that formula, even momentarily, it feels tacked on. The things... I, I don't mind the costumes. I don't mind the costumes. They're aliens. They had to get clothes from somewhere. I, I don't mind that they didn't invent khakis. Like, <laughs> like if they want to have weird alien costumes and a spaceship that feels like it came straight out of David Lynch's Dune, I'm fine with all of that. That's fine. I actually huh. like that we're seeing some of the weirder Jack Kirby designs being brought to life. Arishem looks cool. Like, a, this giant... It actually has, like, yeah. it, it is enormous. Yeah, you get a real yeah. good sense of scale, which I really appreciate. Um, that's, all that shit's cool. I like all of that. I like that stuff. But there's a scene, there's a scene in the movie, and it's it's kind of played off as a joke, and it feels like it's only there for the trailer. Most of the Eternals have gotten back together. There's, like, a couple we haven't found yet, but they're on a, it's like the Muppets. We're trying to get the gang back together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we found most of them, and we're all having dinner. And it's nice to see these people just communicate. You've got a wonderful ensemble cast. Let them talk. They have so much history together. And then Sprite says, so who do you think is going to lead the Avengers now that Captain America and Iron Man are gone? And I'm like, why do you give a shit? <laughs> like, I'm watching this. And I'm like, I don't understand why you care. Why these be- people would be
0: interested in because,
1: because A, your Eternals. These, these people are blibs. Uh. Uh... And B, given everything going on, and I don't want to go into too much detail about the big revelations, about the universe, et cetera, Mm. But given everything going on right now, there's a ticking clock and the whole world's going to collapse in on itself. This is what you're going to talk about? Because if we don't resolve the actual conversation we're having at the dinner table, Mm. no one is going to take over the Avengers because the world's going to be over within a week. So this feels really just it's not even tacked it, on it's like a little post it, it you know what it feel just been thrown onto the script
0: that scene brought to mind uh <laughs> another superhero film that came out earlier this year called Flora and Ulysses. Wow. About a super-powered squirrel. Oh, another Disney film. Another, well, very much a Disney film because there were, there seemed to be added scenes in that film mm-hmm. where they made reference to like newly acquired IP. So there's yeah. like a Star Wars scene and they, yeah. they dubbed in uh, Wolverine lines. shows up in that
1: as a comic book, but still, this is mm. like the, that's like the first movie where mm. Marvel acknowledged that they own
0: Wolverine and can do whatever they want with him now. Yeah, so they put him in, yeah. in this squirrel movie uh yeah they dubbed in the line um i love you 3000 which is from one of the avengers movies. yeah they
1: fucking did like yeah. that was adr There's, so the 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 how the the, the the child installs into the houses um uh doorbell hmm. the imperial march from star wars and i'm like do you hate your family are you saying they're like the empire is that because that's <laughs> not what's in the movie the movie suggests you quite like your family hmm. that's really weird none of it makes any sense None of it feels tangible. None of it feels like there's a really good reason to put this yeah, in there it, it, because it, it's organic and it makes sense. It feels it like a, a
0: commercial exercise. Yeah. There's there's
1: one we... bit, there's one little bit, there's one little bit at the beginning where I was like, "That I'm fine with this because this is actually a casual conversation that would come up. Yeah. Cersei is dating a human played by Kit Harington from Game of Thrones. Yeah. And she's very secretive and he makes a joke. It's like, I know, I know why you're very secretive and won't let me uh, come over to your apartment. You're a wizard, aren't you? Hmm. Because they're that's a thing now. Yeah, they're, they're a like, wizard. So, so, like, so world, you're secretive yeah. because there's there's all this magical shit, and you're one of them, right? Huh? Huh? Yeah, and, and, she, and she does it, have
0: magical powers. Her, it's, it's her a little power close, is, actually. Her power is she can transform inanimate objects into other inanimate objects. Yeah, there's she
1: can, a, turn oh, water into rock and vice yeah, versa. There's a, right?
0: a, a scene where a, a bus is about to hit somebody, and she turns it into flower petals. That's yeah, very yeah, nice. It's a neat image. Actually. Uh, yeah. yeah, all all of the interaction between the characters and the characters themselves uh, are really great. It's When it has to reach into the Marvel bag, that it feels like Mm. it's stretching into territory it doesn't want to be in. Yeah. And it does, of course, have to end in a big fight. Uh, I appreciate that the fight is between, uh, without giving too much away, the fight is between the Eternals. Yeah, it's Uh, it's a
1: difference of opinion.
0: There's there's deviants out there, and the deviants do come into play, but the real climax is... who's gonna win this physical fight which represents their opposite points of view uh, yeah. and I find that way more interesting I actually, than good guys fighting bad guys uh, there's and
1: again without revealing too much mm. I like that like, before that big climax they're all deciding who's, what everyone's values are mm. and there's one person who says I see both sides of this argument I actually agree with this side more but not enough to fight over it so I'm leaving
0: yeah yeah
1: i'm just a conscientious objector here where i may mostly agree with one side but i don't believe in the fight so i'm just going to go because i see a point either way i thought that was very refreshing Mm -hmm. it's it seems a little anticlimactic
0: but it's actually very well thought out yeah yeah. and it works and i really liked it this this and i think um because the the you know the nature of this genre they tend to be action pictures and thrillers and we want to thrill when somebody comes to sort of a a big uh physical triumph where they beat up a bad guy mm-hmm. and they best, best the bad guy and save the day. Uh, the Eternals you know, save the day. Uh, it's a superhero movie. Right. Uh, but uh, it, it doesn't, it's not about overcoming evil. It's not about yeah. good guys versus bad guys. Oh. It is this sort of conflict of ideas uh, like Lart and the effect of which affect sort of the very fabric of the universe. And uh, I appreciate that it is about those ideas, but at the same time, it's really hard to get behind some of the clunkier, more traditional aspects of the superhero genre.
1: agreed. And because I, I feel like what Chloe Zhao is is using here oh to great effect is, again, a lot of our ideas of what a superhero story can be. just just the name superhero. It's kind of arbitrary, actually. What these are are larger than life beings with powers greater than a normal person, mm-hmm. even if they are. Human, maybe their skill set is so dramatically beyond ours that they're functionally superheroic uh, or functionally superhuman. Mm. Um, we're used to seeing that in a punch-em-up, mm. but if you look at the grand history of storytelling tradition, yeah, there's some of that-you mm. know, Hercules and Gilgamesh and the like. Uh, but well, a lot no, of it, not,
0: not, Gu- not oh, Gilgamesh, I, I was actually not... going to bring up how Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh is... is actually, I apologize, yeah.
1: wrong, poor choice. Hercules is a good example. Yes, yeah. Of this. yeah. Uh, but a lot of the stories of larger than life beings throughout human history are melancholic. No, they're not are about
0: spiritual. They're not all about war, which is yeah. what superhero stories yeah. tend to be if, about. If you it's look combat. at
1: if you look at the various mythologies, Greek or Norse. You, Norse is a bit more you know war centric in its plotting, but there's still other mm. stories in it. Um, you look at uh, Christianity. Mm. You look at there's a wide variety throughout the history of the world of stories of people with great powers who are. Doing gentle things. Doing gentle things or doing thoughtful things or questioning themselves or being deeply flawed and not actually doing heroic things at all. Sometimes doing shitty things, selfish things, sexy things. Mm. Uh, There's a lot of that. And I feel like Chloe Zhao was trying to get to that. So every time it just falls back on a Marvel thing, it feels like a a little counterproductive. But Mm. I will say this. At the end of the day... It's an odd film in some respects. It's an odd mixture of Chloe Zhao's uh, uh, approach to this and the Marvel cinematic uh, sort of blender in which it Mm. has to get thrown into. But I think the good outweighs the bad. I think it's a really, really strong cast. I think it has a lot of interesting ideas, more than Mm. pretty much any other Marvel movie, which uh, even the good ones tend to be a little straightforward. Uh, And I ultimately like it, and I appreciate that they took a big swing. I appreciate that it's kind of weird. Um, and, you no, know, I think this one, it's it's a bit, it's, I think when all is said and done, when we look back at this one, we'll appreciate how different it was. Yeah, well, it's matters. I
0: I appreciate now how different it is. I actually yeah. do like this film. Uh, it, it reminded me a lot less of Marvel Comics and more of, like, Arthur C. Clarke and yeah. uh, science fiction novels that tried to deal with these big ideas. Have you read Childhood's End? I haven't read that uh, one. No. Okay, yeah, that's, that's about how, um, it's actually... Very much like Eternals, Uh, humanity is contacted by space aliens. They said, we're going to give you technology, but we're not going to show you what we look like. We're going to stay on our ships. Uh, You're not ready to look at us. And we think, oh, what kind of weird Lovecraftian horrors uh, exist? And after a a good span of time, a long time has passed, they say, okay, now we've advanced enough. We're going to present ourselves to you now, and they step out, and they essentially look like the devil—like they literally, bat, like Satan. bat wings yeah. and horns and like red skin and yeah. tails. We and were, Yeah, the, the we were too given to superstition to have. Yeah, it's like so. We look. This is how we look, and the, and by the time they land, it's like okay. And when they start uh, sort of mucking around in person, uh, we realize that they're sort of taking some humans aside and saying, uh, you know, let's do something to your brain because you're evolving. And mm. you're, and we're we're here to help you evolve. Yeah. So they are benevolent. And,
1: they just look weird. They, yeah. They they, they, look, they look like demons. Satanic, and yeah.
0: and eventually we do learn that they answer to a higher power, nice. and it's their job to help species evolve. This is there's a bit, this is what the, what the Eternals is about as well.
1: There's a bit. There's a really bit. A good bit. I actually was a really big fan of. I I didn't read all of it, so I can't, maybe it stopped being good. But I was a really big fan of the Ultimate Fantastic Four comics. I actually think they yeah, did, I don't know that but one. it was this rebooted thing and the Fantastic Four were all teenagers. It was the, the, the Josh Trank movie was a little bit beholden to it, but it didn't do a nearly a good job. But there was this one bit where they go to a place called the Negative Zone. <laughs> okay. Which is this fantastical dimension and the Fantastic Four had been there multiple times. And it's led in the original comics by this uh, horrifying demon robot-y kind of thing called Annihilus. <laughs> Oh, I and know he's giant and yeah, green, yeah. has big wings, and Looks he's going like to kill bug. us all. Yeah.
0: Like, and, it look like a big robot bug.
1: And uh, there's a bit in this Ultimate universe where they meet Annihilus for the first time, and they're like, uh-oh. And he's like, nah, it's just it's, it's a different language. It doesn't mean in my language what it means in your language. <laughs> you I realize how bad name. that sounds. Yeah. That's that's not. I would
0: expl- explain a character like Sinestro. Yeah, like, it's it's, like like
1: in in my in my universe, that's like Mike. Like it doesn't mean what... <laughs> I don't have this like Latin root for you to like get. Also, what would that mean? Left-handed? Like I'm really left-handed? What the hell? Um, of course, the, of course, analyst ends up actually being a bad guy instead of Sinestro, but that's considered more ironic than
0: anything else. There's a uh, an episode of. Uh... Star Trek Lower Decks, mm. where uh, uh, this robot that has recently developed like consciousness, Yeah. it's like, well, I you know I speak robot language, so I decided I got to choose my own name that I get to communicate to you corporeal beings. What's your name? My name is Peanut Hamper. <laughs> like, what? You're, well, okay, Ensign Peanut Hamper, welcome aboard. Yeah. Like Just, just wow, fun, able... fun words to the uh, the. Thank you robot. for bringing
1: this back around to Star Trek. We should I, move Yeah, on. i got to bring it around to Star Trek. We should but, move on. Uh, Where do you want to go next?
0: Um, let's talk about Spencer. Let's do
1: it. Oh, so this is the latest film from Pablo Lorraine. Uh, Pablo Lorraine has been making movies for quite a while, but most people know him from his more recent biopic, of Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis Mm. uh, called called Jackie. Jackie. Uh, It stars uh, Natalie Portman as uh, the former first lady of the United States uh, over a period of time when she was dealing with the crisis of her husband being assassinated, uh, her being basically shoved aside so Mm. that a new administration can take over, even though she's still kind of a figurehead for the country, while she's also trying to plan the funeral of one of the most
0: beloved like uh, politicians in in history and, and dealing with all, of, you know, the personal mourning and grieving yeah. that she has to be, go through, uh, having witnessed her husband murdered in front of her. And, and that, that movie so, yeah. is great. That's a really good film. It's, it's quite good. Uh, it's yeah. Pablo Lorraine is a very, uh, downbeat kind of dour filmmaker. And, uh, so uh, the, the biographies he, he chooses to tell tend to focus on sort of the downbeat elements of mm. uh, subjects' lives. Uh, it's and, easy to draw a big
1: parallel between mm. Jackie and Spencer because they're both stories of uh, women who or, married or. into these like long dynasties of powerful men, or powerful families anyway, mm-hmm. uh, and focuses on them in a time of crisis. Uh, in the case of Spencer, we're dealing with uh, Princess Diana, who uh, I, I realize probably died before a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast yeah, she, were born. She but... died
0: in 1997, yeah. and uh, she was not just uh, the Princess princess of Wales, uh-huh. part of the royal family, but she was uh, one of the biggest figures you'd see in a tabloid. Uh, well, I, I think even she, beyond
1: that, she was just one of the most popular human beings in the world. Yeah. Even before she she, uh, she was she
0: was the, she was she was her, was, her was, wedding uh, to Charles was uh, one of the like highest rated uh, events mm-hmm. in TV history. I think it might still yeah. be one of the highest rated events. It in was TV considered. History.
1: It was considered. I mean, my mother was very very uh, interested in the royal family, and she would constantly read like British magazines imported uh, to our local newsstand, and she would just followed all of this. And uh, initially, the, a lot of the sort of star-studded appeal of Princess Diana was that she came from outside of that world. She was not royalty who just married another royal and that was that. She was a person who then married royalty. Holy shit, this is something out of a Disney movie. Oh my god. Everything's incredible. The fashions are incredible. Everything seems really, really wonderful. And then you found out what she was actually going through, and it turns out it was hell. Yeah. It was absolutely hell. It was an emotionally unavailable family. Uh, no sooner than were they married than, in fact, I think even before, than her husband was already sleeping with his old lover, uh, not even hiding it after a while. Uh, she and, was, and this was
0: sort of like an expected thing that she was meant to tolerate. The
1: royal family was basically just like, yeah, it's the same shit as always. But yeah. to put someone from outside of it, no, this is... Not a healthy environment. This is not something that is to be accepted. And when we meet uh, her in in Pablo Lorraine's Spencer, as played by Kristen Stewart, uh, it takes place over the Christmas holiday. Uh, Basically, while she is at the point of deciding what she is going to do. Is she going to just play her role and be part of this charade and be miserable for the rest of her life? Is she going to perhaps... Stand up for herself and assert her individuality, which, of course, she ended up actually doing Uh, or and this is something the movie actually I appreciate that they actually go there and they I think they do it in a pretty, um, pretty harrowing way is she considers killing herself. Mm. And I was not expecting Spencer to be and I'm going to say this uh, flat out the best haunted house movie of the decade so far. Because that's what this feels like. This well, feels she's, like she's trapped in a house haunted by tradition.
0: Well, and she's, she's trapped s- by it. Specifically by uh, the first wife of King Henry VIII. Yeah. Uh, who um, Who's name checked multiple times and she feels like this, this specter of this woman is, is sort of hanging over her at all times. Uh, and she kind of, it's mostly her just sort of wandering around this big... Uh, yeah, kind of like haunted estate Mm -hmm. with uh, ghouls lurking around every corner. And the ghouls just happen to be actual people who live there, including her husband.
1: The the royals, she can't trust the staff because Mm. the staff are part of this grand tradition Mm -hmm. and the vast majority of them are at best gossiping about her and like, don't have her best uh,
0: interests at heart. uh, She, uh, at one point, feels like she's kind of made a confidant in, I think he's the head butler. Is the character played by Timothy Spall. Yeah. And, uh, and... She uh, at one point sort of confides in him. What 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 are we even doing this for? And it, it's at that moment where he reveals that he's actually not on her side, and he yeah. actually does believe in these traditions. And he has a very inspiring speech that would be inspiring if she was inspired by it. But she's actually yeah. terrified. If, by if it actually it.
1: if it actually catered to her principles, mm-hmm. it's not. But it, it's not right. her principles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's nothing that she has any connection to or has any desire to defend.
0: Yeah, she uh, she has
1: one comp- She has one actual servant who is on her side, played by Sally Hawkins. Sally Hawkins is amazing in this movie she's amazing in everything oh, by, really, by the way really this crazy.
0: is a movie with Timothy Spall and Sally Hawkins so, so you go need to see it just yeah. go
1: see it those are two of the best actors working today <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, but Sally Hawkins is no sooner It's like oh thank god one person with whom i i feel like i trust oh. someone who i feel like i can like be myself with and then as soon as the royals find out that she has someone that she can trust and be herself with she is whisked away in the middle of the night so she won't be there anymore yeah. so diana won't have anything uh, like connecting her to reality she will only yeah, be in this he's... bizarre situation
0: yeah it, it, it feels like she really is like through the looking glass there are a few moments where she gets to be human there's a wonderful scene where she uh just sort of has an evening of play with her kids.
1: Yeah, she has to do it in the middle of the night when no one's looking. Yeah, yeah. She kind of wakes
0: them up and and has sort of like playful word games with them in the middle of the night. And it's actually really very sweet. Well, you get to see that she was actually uh, like
1: a mother and like actually got to have those connections with her children.
0: But then uh, then there's my favorite scene in the movie. It's clearly a fantasy sequence where she's sitting at a a grand dinner and she's sort of playing with her pearls nervously and uh, Mm. the pearls break and they sort of uh, fall all over the table and nobody notices, uh-huh. and they fall in her soup, and she begins eating the pearls.
1: Yeah, like that oh, and the happens. pearls. The pearls represent more than that because mm. it turns out that the pearls, the pearl necklace she received from Charles mm. for her wedding, he got the exact same gift for Camilla, his lover. <laughs> yeah, so it yeah. doesn't even mean anything. So, so she uh, just starts eating mm. them, and it's really, really horrifying. It feels like a scene right out of The Shining, like it really does. There's a sense of psychological despair, horror movie moment. It's psychological, and again, haunted house movies don't necessarily have to be literal Rebecca is one of the great haunted house movies of all time it's just haunted by a memory hmm. and that's what Diana's is haunted by here she's well, that's, haunted that's by this our, that's this what many, haunting is isn't yeah, it it's she's haunted by centuries of, of expectations and memories and the exploitation of women marrying into royal families and it's driving her mad and I that's the thing this this movie is plays pretty fast and loose with like sort of accuracy because it's very it's a uh, fictionalized version it's very uh... fictionalized it's very uh uh um expressionistic uh but i feel like it understands the psychological torment that she was going through and i think that's what it wants us to understand Hmm. is it may be difficult because of all of the opulence because of all of the tabloid bullshit to look at diana as I mean, not a person. We understand Mm. that she's a person. But to be able to understand what it was like to be her Mm. is really, really difficult. And I think that was the only thing on this movie's mind. And if everything else falls apart, as long as Mm. you understand just how desperate it felt. Yeah, okay. They're rich. Who gives a shit? It's misery. Mm. And I feel like that's the thing this movie captures really, really beautifully. And that's why I like this movie a lot, actually. Right, right. It, 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 at first I couldn't quite figure out how to glom onto it, but once I realized this is a horror movie, this is a psychological mm-hmm. yeah. thriller, that's when I started really connecting.
0: The, uh, it, it's, it's a, like I said, it's very downbeat. It's very hazy. It's very scary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it, it, it's been criticized for that, not just because that's sort of a, a some people don't necessarily want to dive into that mindset, mm-hmm. but uh, it's, it's also been criticized by people who knew Diana, who actually wasn't miserable all the time. As I'm sure was she wasn't. In this, this movie. this, and, uh, this weekend. You know? And yeah, this, there was actually a lot in her life where she, uh, you know, was able to become a, a better, uh, further reaching humanitarian with sort of her power and her money. 100%. She was in this position and uh, didn't want to necessarily be remembered as this dour figure, but that is kind of where, where this movie is placing her. It's playing into a, mm-hmm. Yet another image of Di Mm -hmm, that it wasn't necessarily a full portrait of her. What I find really fascinating is Spencer is the latest in kind of a series of movies where we're going back and looking at the pilloried women of the tabloid era. And giving them their humanity back. There was a film about Tanya Harding. Yeah,
1: a They gave a really Tanya good movie, Harding yeah.
0: her humanity back. Just this year, there was a film about Tammy Faye Baker mm-hmm. trying to get her, her, her humanity back. There has been documentaries
1: about Britney Spears as well. You know? yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: That's, uh, the tabloids have ripped them apart for so long, we're finally picking the pieces back up.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Spencer it's, feels like it is trying to be an incredibly sensitive and, uh, and touching portrait of the pains that Diana went through, but it is also fictionalized. So we should perhaps take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. And and that's why I think playing it as, as such a genre film, Mm.
1: I think gives them a little bit of freedom to say, we're not giving you the complete picture. Yeah. We're talking about, again, this is during one moment of crisis. I mean, think about, I'm I'm sure everyone at home, you know, you live long enough, you're going to encounter one moment of crisis. Mm. Does that, does that moment, whether it lasted an hour, a weekend, a month, whatever There's some really bad thing and everything just seemed like it was collapsing all around you And you had to make life-altering decisions under not great conditions That's probably not representative of your whole life Yeah That was a weird time, and I feel like this is a portrait of that weird time Which is why, in many respects, I think this is actually a bad biopic As a oh, biopic, yeah. if you're looking for to be informed about Diana's life, you won't be. You'll you'll hopefully be sympathetic to her plight. This is one But this that's not a... about this isn't about illustrating or illuminating the facts or setting the story straight. This is not about that.
0: Well this this is some uh, film that Hopes you have emo- you have feelings about Diana going in. Yes. That you, A, know who she is, and you know about her history. Honestly,
1: I can't imagine knowing nothing about her and going yeah. into this. It'd probably be really weird. Mm. Yeah. Um, we haven't really I, talked about Kristen Stewart. How do you feel she she, she pulls this well, up? Well, I
0: mean, Kristen Stewart is one of the best actresses of her generation, quite frankly. Um yeah. I I think she I mean she really kind of embodies the role in a way I really haven't seen Kristen Stewart do in the past. She's a very sensitive actress. She has a great deal of range, uh but she's she tends to be more comfortable creating characters out of a whole cloth. Uh here she is uh you know saddled with that thing of creating an original character while also imitating the mannerisms of an existing human being. Mm-hmm. And I think she does it remarkably well. Yeah. Uh while still bringing her performance to it. Uh that's Incredibly admirable. Yeah,
1: I agree. All right, uh, what do you want to talk about next?
0: Pick a film. Uh, any <laughs> let's film. see here. Let's talk about Finch.
1: Finch. Okay, another, okay. another somewhat dour film. Finch.
0: Or, or as, as my wife put it, Bumby's Mom. Oh, no, it's so sad. So Finch uh, is a new original
1: uh, sci-fi film on Apple+. Plus. Finch stars Tom Hanks as possibly the last man in the world. Uh, he is a robotics expert who is living in an old factory uh, after a solar flare has burned off all of the ozone and being outside in the sun for even a few seconds will burn your flesh. Hmm. So most of humanity has died. Most of the food has been annihilated or obliterated, can't grow anymore. And right now, as far as Tom Hanks knows, it's just him and his dog and that's it. And unfortunately, repeated exposure to UV radiation, even just going out trying to find dog food or anything that could suffice for it, has left him dying. He's, he will dying die radiation soon, poisoning. sooner yeah. than later. You know, it's an, it, he can't have a great diagnosis. He's not a doctor, but he knows he will die.
0: So, uh, Tom Hanks, that he is Finch, uh, he, is, he has tasked himself with one final act on this world uh, mm. the dog is everything. Uh, To quote uh, Cormac McCarthy's The Road, uh, each was the other's world entire.
1: Oh, God. Yeah, Finch Finch promises it's going to be a weebie because the idea is he's going to build a robot.
0: He has to build a robot. That
1: will take care of the dog. Train
0: it to love the dog before he dies.
1: So that the dog will be taking care of the
0: movie. And this is an Amblin film, so this is...
1: Yeah, like this is, this is
0: not going to pull any of the sentimental punches you think it's going to. I, this is on. A, it's not directed by Spielberg, but it has, it has Spielberg's a, note. It, it on has.
1: It. it has a Spielberg. It's, it's executive producer Robert Zemeckis, and I think mm-hmm. it's got that quality. Um, I am probably one of many people mm-hmm. uh, who grew up uh, being exposed to, and I think that's the best word to uh, use. The film Turner and Hooch. <laughs> Turner and Hooch is a film, it's a a funny movie, about Tom Hanks, he's a cop, and he has to team up with a funny dog that eats his car, and there's a scene where the dog's eating his car, and Tom Hanks is like, not the car! And it's one of the funniest scenes you've ever seen, and it's got one of the saddest endings of
0: any movie. Does the dog die? Shut up. Does the dog die? I'm just, I'm just does he, has, does right he now, have to kill the dog? Have you never seen Turner and Hooch? No, I don't. I never want to see. I don't see dog movies. Okay, well, in any
1: case, my point is this: there's <laughs> there's certain family films that I'm not going to ruin the situations for you, but Bambi is one of them. Bad shit happens. Stuff that would traumatize a young person. So, seeing another Tom Hanks movie with the dog and knowing the premise is Tom Hanks is dying and is trying to teach a robot to love a dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm about to press play on this thing, and there's a part of me that's like, Tom Hanks is great, visual effects technology yeah. has gone really really far. This might very well be a very good movie, but am I really in the mood?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the answer it's, was
1: no. But I will tell something you
0: this: this, this sad, not, I, not, not even depressing, just sad. I don't, I don't gravitate
1: story. towards sad stories i don't object to them many of my favorite stories ever are sad stories but i'm rarely in the mood it's usually someone telling me you should see this it's great you should see it and then i do and i'm really really glad i did but if you like if i'm just bored and just want to watch something i'm not going to put in something sad i'll probably put in something happy that's just where i gravitate um
0: So I was dreading
1: this a little bit because I knew the premise and I knew this is probably not going to end with surprise Tom Hanks was misdiagnosed or something like we're probably not going there. It's it's not really the end of the world. Yeah, it turns out it was all a big surprise party and boy was he surprised. Uh, No, it's going to go to some really, really heavy places, but I think it handles it beautifully. I think this is a mm -hmm. really sweet film. About someone who basically creates a son. The the robot is uh, eventually named Jeff, and he's played by Caleb Landry Jones, very good actor, uh, and uh, the
0: voiced by Caleb Landry Jones. And it's mostly puppeteering. And close yeah. ups, it's actual an actual robot that is mm. being puppeteered. I um, actually wasn't
1: aware of that. It Look good though.
0: In uh, in long shots where you can see it like walking around, clearly yeah. that's CG. Um,
1: but uh, in any case, I bought this robot hook, line, and sinker. I bought that. Uh, you know, it was very childlike but very eager and trying its best. And it gives this basically this opportunity for Tom Hanks to have a son. Mm -hmm. And I'm mad because there's Tom Hanks in this movie has a beard and in certain shots, he looks uncannily like my father towards the end of his life. So there are moments in this where he's being very honest and forthright about the end of his life and the regrets that he has and the things he wished he had done and how he may have, Sometimes been a good parent to Jeff and sometimes he may have been a bad parent to Jeff. And it reminded me very, very much of some of the last days with my father. And I will say this right now, as devastating as that was to relive, kudos to the film for taking this odd premise and actually evoking something that human. Mm. Tom Hanks is as good an actor as he's ever been, which is to say one of the best. He's really, really Mm. talented. The movie is small. I actually, you keep it keeps threatening to become something a little bit more actiony, well, it, but it, it never it, quite does.
0: One of the premise uh, one of the premises of the film is that uh, Finch, the Tom Hanks character, uh, hates people. Yeah. He's kind of a misanthrope. Uh, he's perfectly uh, happy to live with just a dog and never uh, interact with other human beings. And now he's been forced into the position of having to teach something how to be a human. Uh, And he's trying to be kind of objective about it. And he realizes that in teaching this robot that he's actually teaching things to himself. And I like that aspect of it. And he also recognizes when he's teaching the robot bad things uh, about his mistrust and his paranoia. Yeah. And this isn't about him growing up either. This is about just who he is. We know he's going to die. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot of
1: time (laughs) left for character (laughs) development right now. But he's able to acknowledge things about himself Mm -hmm. and achieve a certain amount of wisdom i think by the end and, and the, i think that's really beautiful
0: uh and meanwhile there's still the fun star trek stuff where you get to think about the nature of a robot's consciousness yeah and how you would teach a robot and what sort of things you would teach it he's very careful right away to program in uh, asimov's laws of robotics yep
1: that was cute <laughs> that was really he adds one which is the dog is everything yeah, done. yeah. and and rule number four protect the dog this is actually, like, this is this is a, some of it, a weirdly non-cynical version of a boy and his dog, which is one of yeah, the great I mean, post-apocalyptic movies if you've ever seen. It, it stars Don Johnson as, like, a teenager in the post-apocalypse who is just
0: horny and lonely. Just and lo- he's looking to have sex w- with a woman. Once and, uh,
1: before he dies. And he's got a dog with him, and the dog is, because of radiation, psychic. And, and, and it can commu-
0: communicate psychically with the dog. Who yeah. We get to hear the dog... Uh,
1: voiceover it's incredibly bitter and cynical and it's definitely not gonna be for everyone's taste but it's really (laughs) interesting it's gonna
0: be be everyone's taste that's that's one of the last lines of the movie
1: (laughs) yeah i apologize (laughs) uh but uh yeah it's 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 very very good but this is this is sort of like the older wiser calmer version of that in a way just (laughs) one person left with the dog Mm. but it's sweet
0: yeah it's it's impeccably made. It's yeah, really, it's really slick done. looking movie. Yeah. The
1: robot is really great looking. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if this ends up winning like best visual effects because not that that's important, but like I feel like the academy likes to reward films that use visual effects to, to tell a good story an emotional story Regardless yeah. of whether or not They're oppressive They care about the story Like it, The more likely A movie is To have been nominated For best picture The more likely it is To win the best Visual effects award Right And I think Finch Might be good Because it's like what is a great like X, character yeah, Something like Ex Machina Wins best special effects But it's, it's just but... A wonderful character yeah, Finch. yeah And I really do I, I, I uh, really do love him Very very much the,
0: the, the robot gets to name itself And it chooses the name Jeff And yeah. uh, After
1: many tries Which I appreciate there's a good mm-hmm. conversation
0: uh, and you look in the credits, and it's spelled with a J. If it had been spelled Jeff with G E O F F, uh, I would ho- I would kept on hoping it was spelled with a G because that would have been a reference to uh, Craig Ferguson's talk show, where, oh. <laughs> where he had a robot sidekick <laughs> named Jeff. Yes, he did. Uh, I, I love Jeff. Jeff Peterson is the name of the, the robot skeleton, <laughs> and I would like to think that the filmmakers were big fans of Craig Ferguson. But no, no. it is Jeff with a J.
1: No, a anyway, very very sweet movie. Do not miss it if you get the opportunity. It's very very good. It's sad. But it's worth it, and it's coming from someone who doesn't necessarily love sad
0: movies. But you know what I do love? What do you love? The harder they fall. The harder they fall is awesome. The Harder they fall. Fucks. It's so freaking
1: good. I'm gonna I'm gonna use the word that the kids mm. use. Uh. The harder they fall fucks.
0: <laughs> this <laughs> movie is great. Holy uh, shit, this film. This is a western film uh, directed by the bullets. Uh, A.K.A. James Samuel. Uh, he is a, a songwriter, and this is a, a fictional film he's directing. It's semi-fictional in that the events of the film are all completely fabricated, mm-hmm. but all the characters are real people. Which is to say, they're basically doing like a,
1: a, a, a Young Guns kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Emily West is playing Emily West. Of us plays Billy the Kid in Young Guns. You know what never happened to Billy the Kid? Ninety-eight <laughs> percent of the shit in that yeah. movie. Um,
0: and uh, this is uh, sort of a, a, a vision of the Old West where we don't get to spend any time with white people, and it's wonderful. <laughs> there's, all, there's like two scenes with white people, and one of them, it's a joke. They see They hold up a, a, a bank at one point, and all of the people in the bank are white people, and the interior of the bank is even white. It's painted well, white. Well, they even say uh, like
1: we, we're, we're going to like a town yeah. that, that that's a white town. And then they go there. Literally, every building is white. Yeah, and it's like, okay, all right, we're in this movie. This is the movie we're in. Yeah,
0: yeah we're yeah. going
1: to we're playing a little faster than history, it, but if it feels good and it's fun, we're going to do it. When we
0: go out into the real world, it's uh, a completely African American cast, and uh, it's um, and it's a lot more uh, colorful. And I this is sort of like uh, you look back at the Western genre and it's old white grizzled white men. And you look 90% at yeah, of it, yeah. And it, you know, it, it was a racist time, but there were also uh, out in the old west, you know, before these states were sort of added to the United States, there was actually a lot more opportunity for black cowboys. Mm-hmm. And, and there were a lot uh, more and, people and outlaw- of color in the and, old and west than sheriffs, would, would, yeah, yeah. would suggest. This is a movie that just sort of uh, lets them have the space all to themselves, and I I really appreciate that.
1: Uh, Uh, The cast uh, is fucking phenomenal, just to give a quick... Oh my god, yes. Oh my god, so you got (laughs) Jonathan Majors as Mm. Nat Love, an outlaw who makes his living stealing from other outlaws. Mm. You get his arch-nemesis, Rufus Buck, played by Idris Elba. Idris Elba kills Nat Love's Father at the be- and mother at the beginning of the movie, you know, and, out and for carves
0: a cross into his yes, forehead so with a straight razor. Uh, you got when, Zazie when, Beetz. When, when, yeah. when we're introduced to the Idris Elba character, yeah, uh, he's being transported like uh, like the Steve Buscemi character in Con Air, or, yeah. or like Cannibal like he's Lecter. In he's in a safe, yeah. And they open the safe, and we don't see anything in it. It's just like, like this black space, like it, it, like you were talking about the negative zone. Yeah, it's like, he, and he emerges from the negative zone. It's like, oh shit, it's Idris Elba.
1: Yeah. Uh, you got Zazzy Beats uh, as stagecoach Mary, an outlaw who now like runs multiple businesses. Uh Regina and, and King and his and his uh Nat Love's ex girlfriend. Yep, yeah, you got Regina King as treacherous Trudy. Uh Jesus, such a scene stealer, holy (laughs) shit, she's so good in this movie Uh, Delroy Lindo as real-life lawman Bass Reeves, who seriously look up that guy That guy is a legend (laughs) in real life, holy shit You got Lakeith Stanfield as Cherokee Bill, another amazing fucking villain You got R.J. Seiler in here You got Danielle Deadweiler, uh, a character uh, who is a genderqueer and yeah, that's yeah. really, really cool. She, uh, I, I, there's a couple of bits where they don't feel like they handle that as well as they could have, but they still well, handle it better than most other movies are right it, now, so I'll give them some credit.
0: It, it's the Old West, and you can tell that they don't, like, have the language for genderqueer yet. Agreed. Uh, but, I still think
1: there's other ways the movie could have okay. been even better yeah, about her, it, but it's still pretty yeah, good. her
0: character is named Coffee, uh yeah. played by a real person named Kathy Williams. The model
1: after real person named uh, Cathy, Cathy me, Williams. Yeah. Uh, you got Edie Cassecky in this, Damon Wayans Jr. is in this, the, the, the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. All-star incredible um... and everyone's got a fun role everyone's got incredible scenes i love the screenplay to this movie (laughs) the screenplay of this movie is i would teach this in a a class the screenplay is so great because the story is actually very easy to follow there's not a lot of gigantic twists and turns it's it's clean however It's,
0: it's, it's essentially just
1: about two rival gangs yeah yeah however every almost every like scene Begins in a way you're not expecting and concludes in a way you're not expecting. Mm-hmm. The whole bit where uh, uh, Regina King and Lakeith Stanfield rob a train—you mm. think you know what they're doing, and then he realizes no, they're doing this, and then he realize they're doing this for this reason, and then he realizes that after they've done this, they have to do this. Like there's so many great reveals on top of reveals. The screenplay is. Not being cute. Like, it's not trying to trick you. Mm-hmm. It's just revealing itself in a slightly unexpected way so that you are never for one second bored. You are always engaged with this thing. And on top of that, you've got absolutely phenomenal cinematography by Mihai uh, Malamere Jr. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, which that person, who's also did the uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master... Great, great-looking movie. Did Jojo Rabbit? Did the, the Hate You Give? They watch some Sam Raimi films because this is not just gorgeously lit. It's a very nicely lit movie. The production design is fantastic. The costume design is impeccable. Um, they do such great storytelling with camera work here. So much well, incredible, you're... just little bits in the middle of scenes where we're not just going to let it play out. We're going to make sure the camera is part of conveying this story. With, I was, through clever shots, yeah, this through bizarre is, uh, zooms,
0: it's really incredible. The, and this is this is what one of the things that makes this film stand out as much as it does. Uh, it it uses. I've seen a uh, plenty of revisionist westerns that very directly quote other films, and yeah. they're the filmmakers in, in many of these cases quote other films in the hopes that they can sort of like piggyback on goodwill from other movies into the one they're making.
1: Yep, oftentimes looking at Spaghetti Western, sometimes more American yeah. classics like High Noon or whatever. Uh, Shane.
0: This is a film that is using a lot of the style from like some Sergei Leone or so other old Westerns, but understands that uh these shots that it's selecting or these angles or, you know, putting the characters in the frame in such a way is actually in service of something in service of communicating Mm -hmm. something about the character or uh, something about the scene or the beats or the the pacing of the the thing. You're not just using the Uh, shot
1: to place yourself in contact with other Westerns. You're using mm -hmm. the shot because this is the shot that tells the
0: story story best. And it looks like this other shot. And, that's coincidence because this is actually just a good way to tell this kind of a story.
1: Yeah. I actually feel like if there's one Western it takes the most from it's Sam Raimi's the quick and the dead, (laughs) which is another story that tells itself through like camera language better than most others. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, I've also noticed that it would name check things like there's this great shot of Regina King at the beginning where she's motioning to all of her people to, to basically do whatever they decide describe they planned. Mm. And it's a shot that lifted right from Malcolm X. It's the fingers. Oh, and it's yeah. just like they're, they know exactly what they're <laughs> quoting and they know that the people in the audience who are in the know will recognize this. And it's in part of a legacy. Mm. Uh, but it is exactly what that moment needs. It's not just sitting there because it's a reference
0: yeah. and, and they're not
1: even calling their shots. They're not even saying, Oh, it's just kind of like blank. We're not mm. doing that.
0: No, it's, and it, it takes the time. Uh, it is over. It's like about two hours and 15 minutes in length. doesn't feel it. Uh, well, it, it, it moves like a, a, like a freight train. And, yeah. uh, it that, that time gives all of these characters and has a huge ensemble mm-hmm. to each emerge as a character. It's not just that they have one bit or they, uh, mm-hmm. they all seem to have something to do, not in terms of plot, but mm-hmm. in terms of relating to one another. Yeah, they have emotional so, um, connections to each other. Yeah. Good guys and bad guys mm-hmm. alike. And uh, did you notice the good guys and bad guys all wear black hats? I that, that's kind of a, <laughs> a cute little wink to the audience as well. Game, everyone's having a good time. Um, but yeah, the... Uh, the story is, yeah, it's basically just two rival gangs, mm-hmm. uh, as as you mentioned. The Idris Elba character killed uh, Jonathan Major's uh, father, family, and scarred yeah. him when he was a young boy. And now yeah. he's out for revenge, and he has to find where he is
1: yeah. and kill him. And Idris Elba is basically taking over this whole town. Well, he,
0: he's freed from jail, and he has to go back to the town he used to rule. And there's yeah. a ro- really wonderful bit where he has to oust the guy who was running things oh, while he was so gone. And that character, like this... This star screen like character <laughs> who's completely betrayed and you know is kind of like sucking up to him now, but all, yeah. you know secretly wants to betray him at all times. That character is really wonderful, uh, and yes. he has his his posse who's protecting him, and that's yeah. Regina King and Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah, and I love those as well. Meanwhile, uh, Jonathan Majors, Zizzy Beats, Del Rio Lindo, and and a few others have all yeah. banded together. In order to sort yeah. of take this, track this guy down and take him.
1: And these are larger than life, mm. pulpy heroes, but every single time the story slows down even a little bit, we're learning more about their mm. characters. Regina King is this incredible sequence where she's just basically talking about that time that she killed someone because they hurt her sister. Mm. And it's this really long monologue. There's... And the movie knows that Regina King is so fucking talented, we can stop this movie. <laughs> we can. There's no plot going on right now. We can stop this movie, and she will make that magnetic for five fucking minutes before we go into anything plot-related again.
0: There are multiple references from multiple characters about uh, surviving domestic abuse. Yeah. And it does sort of tie in... Uh, abuse and un- you know, the sort of unhealthy uh, environment in which you experienced your upbringing leads to the sort of uh, violence that they're now living. Yeah, It's not just sort of a natural expected part of the old West as no, no, we've people, learned from movies. These
1: people like grow up in violence and they come to expect yeah, so, it. And, so yeah. there's
0: this theme of perpetuating violence as part of the cycle, which goes right into a genre study of what the Western is. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's... And, but at the same time, even though it has these sort of uh, echoes back into domestic abuse, it doesn't fall into that uh, unforgiven trap of self-pity. No. Where the heroes are all, like, well, kind because, of feeling sorry for... There's, well, there there's a moment there was, at the, they're the end young. where... They're
1: young. They're, they're, they're young still, you know? They're some actually, of them are young,
0: some of them are older. Some of them they're all are older, coming but,
1: but, like, Del Verlindo is the only one who's, like, an old man at this point. Mm. And even he's not falling into that trap. It's not about, like, oh, I was violent once and I regret my ways. It's like... They're living in a violent world. They're thriving in a violent world. They're enjoying a violent world. Mm. This but, is a, But this they're is a movie not but is they're a
0: psychopaths no. who enjoy
1: the violence. Like one or two of them are, but they're the bad guys. So, so that's fine. Yeah. But like the majority of the characters here are doing what they did. Like Keith Stanfield is a monster in this movie. Oh, you golly. can also tell he would rather not be. Mm. Like I don't want to have to do any it's of this like shit, what? but yeah. I will kill anyone in the most underhanded, sadistic, horrible way possible if it so, means that I don't get uh, hurt.
0: There's a wonderful uh, conceit of his character. It's like you're the fastest draw on the west. You killed everybody by shooting them in the back. <laughs> like so, he's there's, there's, like, they keep he, building he, he's up like, to this. He's like a badass, but he's also a coward. They keep uh, building
1: know. up to this. Like the idea is that one of uh, Nat Love's men fancies himself a quick draw artist, and he's been wanting to uh, have to basically have have a duel with Lakeith Stanfield and they keep building to it and I'm not going to tell you what happens. Mm. What I will say is this, wasn't expecting it to go down that way and it's very good. Like they they handle it really really great. It's very satisfying. In in, in a dramatic you know, in a dramatic way. Um this is one of the best movies of the year.
0: <laughs> I agree. I, it's November.
1: <laughs> I feel comfortable. I don't like I don't like throwing that around. Until it's nearly the end of the year, but we're mm. almost halfway through November. Okay, uh, I feel comfortable saying that this is one of the best movies of the year. If it doesn't end up in my top ten, it means that at least seven amazing movies <laughs> came out this year. Because right now, there's only like three or four movies mm. that I would say are a safe bet that I've seen that oh, are going to end up in my top ten of the year.
0: Golly, I've at least a dozen. But I, uh, I've yeah. got.
1: I've, there's a lot of movies I really, really liked, and I'd be very happy to put up them on there. But there's only like three or four that I feel like are 100%, no matter what else comes out at the end of the year, 100% guaranteed Mm. to be on my top ten at the end of the year because they meant so much to me. I keep thinking about them. I haven't lost them at all. Um, This is one of those. This movie is alive. This movie is vibrant. This movie is exciting. This movie is funny. This movie is sexy. This movie is everything. Everything. Do not miss this movie. It's really fucking good, <laughs> and it's very entertaining. Yeah, like I want yeah. more movies done this with this energy. They don't have to be done this exact same way, but I want this. Like I may never make another movie again. I'm putting every fucking thing I can think of, every fucking bit of passion, every bit of exuberance. This movie is is just desperate to make the most of its existence, and not a frame feels wasted. Um, there's, again, there's a couple of bits I feel, uh, with, uh, the genderqueer character, which a couple of line changes, bits of dialogue could have handled that a little bit more smoothly, but even, even then still nicely done overall. um, It just, you know, like you change like four lines of dialogue, it ends up being like really transcendent. That's the most I can complain about this movie. And it's not no, nothing, but is, it is not enough to hurt it in, a, yeah, it, in like it, a in like a this movie is it's bad kind of way.
0: It's it's the excitement of uh, of a filmmaker who is excited to make a movie and actually has something to say yeah. and has a way they want to say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was reminded of you um, know in a, in a weird way. Sorry to bother you. Another like Heathen film. Oh movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all, another one. That also has also about yeah. another uh, another musician uh, directing yeah. a film. Uh, where, yeah, they they just sort of had the excitement of being behind a camera and a lot of ideas of how to tell a story using cinema language and was uh, just sort of falling over themselves to tell as exciting and uh, visually compelling a story as possible while still displaying a talent and a skill to wrangle it all in. There's Mm -hmm. a way to display a lot of enthusiasm and just fall all over yourself and make a mess, uh, this isn't – neither Neither uh, Sorry to Bother You nor The Heart of They Fall uh, has that quality. It is actually uh, incredibly disciplined for how excitingly uh, uh, enthusiastic it is. Yeah. Oh, and
1: actually I actually want to apologize in case uh, I mm-hmm. made a, a, an assumption here. At no point in the movie, I think partly because uh, the language wasn't there yet at mm-hmm. the time, uh, does the character of Cuffy specify that they are trans or genderqueer? But what no, they are no. certainly is masculine presenting. And uh, so just, there's definitely, it's in that, the, uh, it, it's in that Venn diagram. Yeah, I,
0: I don't know if there's any stigma attached to the word tomboy anymore. I don't hear it used a that, lot anymore. That's not but
1: this. They, no. they, they, they want to be treated as male. That's mm. not the same oh, thing. Okay. It's, uh, uh, but uh, in any case, mostly beautifully handled. Mm. One or two scenes where it's not, but it's still really good um okay well let's move on we got um oh we only have one left i didn't see this so tell me about
0: this last film the
1: last film is a biopic called the electrical life of louis wayne and i want to make sure i get the filmmaker's name right because i forgot Will will sharp will sharp will sharp directed this movie it stars benedict cumberbatch as a real life uh turn of the century artist whose big claim to fame was cats he drew cats he drew many cats. He drew anthropomorphized cats. He drew cute cats. He drew psychedelic cats. He drew angelical cats. He probably had some influence on that as well. Uh Louis Wayne helped change the way people see cats in the modern world. Cats were not seen <laughs> okay. to, Cats were not typically pets. Mm-hmm. They were kept around to hunt mice, but they weren't considered like, oh, they're so cute, let's let them sleep on the bed and give them funny voices. Like This sort of fancifulness that we now accept with cats constantly on Mm -hmm. this podcast is in a not insignificant way influenced by the work of Louis Wayne whose paintings of cats which he drew while his wife was dying of cancer because they Mm -hmm. had a cat together and everyone thought they were weird for doing it and uh, it made his wife happy and it made him feel good. And then he started selling these pictures of cats and they started selling like hotcakes and they helped popularize cats and then his wife died and he had nothing else to do Mm. so he kept making cats and that's what he would do and then louis wayne had some form of undiagnosed or improperly diagnosed mental illness probably over the course of his life Mm. and uh he started to started to believe weird things about how cats are going to learn how to talk and eventually once they absorb enough electricity in the air, they're going to turn blue and it's going to be really cool. And it starts getting a little troubling and you start really worrying about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is such a sort of a typically towering, uh, a sort of a uh, presence in a movie. He's, he's very tall. He's got that really deep voice. He seems to oh, just, he exudes a lot of authority.
0: He's got a lot of range, though. He can play sort of timid and quiet as
1: well. I believe believe Hmm. so as well. But I think what he's doing here is... I think he's doing something really, really strong here, which is he's got that sort of confidence, but it feels completely misplaced. Hmm. And he's talking about all these things he's going to invent and they'll never happen, and all these bizarre ideas he has about how electricity is connecting us all, almost like a rudimentary string theory. Um, And... It really highlights his fragility, his emotional fragility as a person Mm. and how he's never felt comfortable. He's the only uh, male in his family, he has a bunch of sisters. And so because of the norms of the time he is put in charge of taking care of the household, he is completely ill-prepared for that. Has no interest in it, has no head for money whatsoever. Mm. Ends up screwing himself out of almost all of the money he could have made off of the cat drawings because he never actually copyrighted all of them so people mm-hmm. were just copying them everywhere and he's not seeing he's only seeing it's a penny off the original sale um and it's basically just he struggled couldn't find his place he was briefly happy with the woman he loved played by Claire Foy and then she died way too early in, in their lives and then he Found a niche, people liked it when he was doing this thing, but that was it. That's all he had to connect to. He didn't connect to anyone else in his life in a meaningful way. And he just floundered for mm. decades, people appreciating his work, but not knowing what to do with him. Yeah. And that sense of loneliness, that sense of being a bit ahead of his time. There's this bit, it reminded me of that scene at, at Eternity's Gate, where Mads Nicholson goes up to Vincent Van Gogh mm. and says why do you think you're an artist? Your work is disturbing and inaccurate and bad. And Vince Van Gogh is just like, well, maybe someday people will think it's good. And there's a bit where he's, he's institutionalized and he's doing these really incredible, beautifully detailed psychedelic images of cats and they're just like it's so sad to see their talent wasted and just gone away. And I'm like, mm. oh
0: my god, he's ahead of his time. This is incredible. Well, I, I i'm i'm looking up. I'm looking at some Louis Wayne paintings right yeah, now. Louis, and, by the uh, way. Louis Wayne paintings right now, yeah. and uh, there is one uh, I'm I'm familiar, very familiar with because you see it on like pillows at Walmart and stuff. Yeah. But it's it's called a kaleidoscope kaleidoscope cats three. Yeah, and it's it's a white cat with sort of like electric lines coming off of it. Yeah. Um, this is like, uh, I think, a, a Margaret Keene situation yeah. where it took on, like, sort of this commercial dimension. A lot of people, like, wanted to hang this in their art in their living rooms. Mm. Well, they were collecting in, like, postcards but, and shit. Yeah, yeah, it was very but, common. But it, it has sort of a a kitsch quality and whether or not it's good or bad is a a matter of
1: debate. Well, what the movie argues and I think, and I think reasonably successfully is uh, even if other people are appreciating this ironically or whimsically or superficially, it meant a lot to him. Mm. And I think the movie conveys that quite nicely. And I think the Will Sharp has an interesting sort of um, hallucinogenic quality to the storyline that, it doesn't it's not like Spencer where I feel like we're really just welcomed into Louis Wayne's world. I think Will Sharp just believes that the turn of the century was a really weird time. Okay. And things were dramatically changing and people were eager to believe things that made no sense, but they were desperate to be modern. And there was this general sense of people just searching for identity, searching for the future, search searching for change. And here's someone who found themselves quite accidentally at the center of that. It's not amazing. I don't. I'm not like deeply in love with this movie. It's it's certainly not one of the best movies of the year, but it's a sweet movie, and I think it's a very sympathetic movie. And I think Benedict Cumberbatch's very good in it. I really like Claire Foy here. Her role is short because you know she passes away shortly at the beginning of the movie, uh, but she i think she really controls the screen whenever she's on it um andrea riseborough plays his oldest sister oh i love andrea Riseborough. and you you keep thinking she's going to be a bigger part in the movie but she ends up just being this sort of interesting and she seems just at first like disapproving almost like um adam sandler's uh sisters and bunch drunk love but by the end of the film you realize that she had her own story going on and it's very sweet um so yeah, I like this movie. I think it's it's eccentric and distinct and sweet. Mm. Uh, it might be biting off more words, too. It might be trying to make too big a thing out of the cat stuff. Uh, but kudos to them for basically plucking an interesting artist out of history and trying to give them their story and trying to sh- show them in as positive a light as they can and raising awareness of a person who, honestly, I was at best, vaguely familiar with. Hmm. I'd seen some of the drawings before, but I really didn't know anything about them. And I'm sure the movie takes a lot of liberties, but you know, I think that's something that a biopic should do if they're trying to be a complete biopic, an educational biopic is to give you some sense of them so that you'd want to do more actual research. Hmm. And they did that. So kudos for that. (laughs) All right. That is it for critically acclaimed. It is time to review some movies on the critically acclaimed scale once again, our critically acclaimed scale ranges from C- to C+. The lowest you can get is a C-, that's below average. Everything <laughs> from, eh, we just don't recommend it to, it's really terrible. Uh, C is average, some good, some bad, well, maybe better for some audiences than others. And C- is, we genuinely recommend this movie, you should check this movie out. It's excellent, highly entertaining, maybe even brilliant. And on that note, uh, The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne is a very high C- uh, told with some panache. I think the acting is very, very good in it. It's not like uh, you must see this before the end of the year kind of thing, but it's on Amazon Prime and it's sweet and I did mostly like it. Okay. Uh,
0: what is What we have? Uh, the Harder They Fall. Uh, that, this is C plus all the way. I, I encourage everyone to see this. This is one that needs to be talked about. This is one where... Uh, it, it, in, in a just world posters of this thing would be up in college dorms. Like yeah. it, it's one of these things that really can uh, dominate the popular consciousness in a big, big way and move cinema forward in, a, in this type of like action cinema forward in an important way. And uh, uh, I really hope people discover it.
1: I'm with you. This is a C plus uh, underlined in italics and in boldface. <laughs> uh, this is excellent filmmaking top um, to bottom, highly entertaining and very rich. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with this. I agree this this is something that should be seen as cool and whether it gets, like, awards talk at the end of the year, which I think it should, uh, mm. or whether it's it's not, I think it's something that, with time, is only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because this is
0: fucking awesome is what <laughs> it is. Uh,
1: what about uh, Finch?
0: Finch is... Uh, is uh, it's a C. It's really quite good. Okay. Um, it's... It's... Uh, a very high C or maybe a very low C plus. Uh, you gotta just pick an, one. Oh God, must I? Eh, wait, wait! Is it that hard? <laughs> really, pick a thing. Pick a thing. Pick uh, a I'll, give, I'll give it a low C plus. Then. Okay, uh, just uh, d- to, to give it its due. Um, I, I think it is a really good character piece. I think it is, of course, an incredibly manipulative, sentimental drama. About mm. Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks teaching a robot <laughs> to love a dog. Uh, yeah, it's gonna, it's trying to make you cry. It is a hanky film, uh, mm. but it does it and it does it well. Yeah. So go, go, Finch.
1: I think it's a, I think it's a little unfair. I think it's, it's all movies are trying to manipulate you on some level. Uh, what I'm offended by is when I can under, see you them understand doing what I
0: say manipulate I know,
1: but it. I want, I'm gonna, I'm gonna clarify that the only time that offends me is when I can see them doing it and mm. I can see them trying to make it work. In spite of itself Like okay. not because the material actually earns it But because they just want us to do it Um And here I think it's actually pretty genuine And I actually appreciate that This much um, You know This much sci-fi storytelling And this much technical wizardry Can be used to tell a simple story like this an intimate story like this and that it can be very affecting so i'm giving it a a, just a solid c plus i do think it's really good tom is really good in it caleb landry jones is good in it i was convinced by the visual effects the whole time and uh yeah it was very very sweet um let's see here spencer
0: uh spencer is also a c plus Uh, just a lot of good ones this week really good week uh yeah really good Uh, week this yeah kind of strange hazy gallows haunted house picture version of the life of diana spencer is fascinating and kristen stewart is wonderful in this movie mm. and uh the, the way it sort of plays with the emotional life of somebody who uh to the outside world seems like a glittering celebrity but who is in fact mm. trapped in this uh, old system that doesn't function for anyone yeah uh yes it yeah, is a really compelling drama
1: I think the strongest critique you can have against Spencer is, as we said, it's not actually doing all of its job as a biopic. Mm. However, once you accept that it's not trying to, I think you've got something that's incredibly evocative, Mm. incredibly uh, riveting, and frankly, scary. Like, emotionally scary, what's going on here. And on that note, I think it's very, very strong. I'm going to give it a C plus as well. And then lastly, I'm curious where you're going to land
0: on this. Eternals. Uh, Eternals is, it, it's a bit of a mess because it, it's two things that don't fit well together. Mm-hmm. But I really liked one of those things a lot. And uh, that's sort of the the pervading idea and the overall emotional thrust I got from the film mm-hmm. left me thinking very po- fondly of it. So I'm going to give it uh, a C+. Plus, okay. Okay. Uh, But it is a qualified C-plus in that there's a lot in this movie that doesn't function well at all. Yeah.
1: I'm going to give it a very high C for that reason. Ultimately, I really appreciate the ambition, and I think that there's a lot in this movie that really does work and is trying to touch at something profound. But I think it's undermined Mm -hmm. by its... Sort of trappings up, yeah you know, not the genre trapping so much as it's awkward attempts to connect to something that has nothing to do with it mm. except in a superficial way yeah, yeah. uh and that's the part it that is, kind of that kind of, if, if it had been allowed to be more separate i mean you could still mm. have it be part of the mcu without talking about captain america and shit mm. every single time they do something like that or when someone says well actually i have a secret backstory like eh, i don't care yeah. all of that and, stuff and is the least they, interesting thing about it this the, the, the post credit teases, least interesting thing about it. Mm. The story itself was the most interesting thing. And there's just a few things holding that back from being truly great. But a big swing, a
0: good swing. I mostly mm. enjoyed it. Mm. It's a high C. The uh the most awkward moment for me was, you know, we're we're in Chloe Zhao's you know, beautiful cinematography. Mm-hmm. We're we're seeing actual landscapes, it's not a CG. And we get to see Selma Hayek. She's essentially dressed as, like, in Old West garb. She's got, like, a yeah. cowboy hat on. She's sitting on the porch of this little tiny shack in the middle of South Dakota. And Icarus walks up to her. She's sort of, like, leaning back. It's like, ah, oh, we're sort of in this uh, contemplative space where these ancient beings it are. It looks like to it's right of yeah. an
1: assassination of Jesse James yeah, 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 yeah. by the cowboy
0: Robert Ford. It looks like it's right out of that. And she says, hey, remember when Thanos did that thing? It was like, like, there's a record scratch car like, crash like, noise oh, in God. my head. It's like, wait a minute, what? Why did you just say the word Thanos? Oh my god, it's like the strangest, most awkward thing. Yeah, it doesn't seem to fit at Mm. all. It's super weird. So yeah, um, those moments kind of like drag it down a little bit. But
1: you know what I will say is that there's a lot of filmmakers out there who will... Make something for a franchise. And there's nothing wrong with that. It can be fun. They can enjoy mm-hmm. it. It can open up a lot of doors for them. Show that they can be trusted with bigger budgets. A lot of filmmakers have yeah, made been, good uh, use out of that. And,
0: and these movies tend to be incredibly financially successful. regardless. So, But uh,
1: few filmmakers, I think, have yeah. kept their own sense of style panache mm. uh, intact. Yeah. The way that yeah. Chloe Zhao has. There's a few. But I think Chloe Zhao has. This doesn't feel like I just made... A a Marvel movie, like no, they made they tried to do it their own way, and it's a little clunky in places, but probably how could it not be? So honestly, like they, I think they mostly kept this feeling very different and distinct,
0: Uh, and and I hope the, uh, the the studio lets artists do their thing more moving forward. I know... A, a Kate, yeah, they can afford to. Yeah. The, the movie did fine. The, the, considering
1: it's COVID still, you know?
0: The films where, uh, like, you can sort of feel the artist's stamp, we're dealing with the kinds of filmmakers who can work in sort of a big commercial space. Yeah. So someone like Shane Black, Iron Man three feels like a Shane Black movie. Oh, well, cause Shane, but Black, that's, but Shane, Black, Shane Black makes big action yeah, spectacular.
1: Lethal weapon and the right. long and, kiss. Good yeah, so like, It's he's not used, that far outside of his range. Yeah. He's
0: used to working in that mold anyway. So of course it feels like a Shane Black movie. Um, Ryan Coogler was able to sort of walk the line a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Ryan Coogler
1: is not a good example.
0: Of it. Uh, I've, don't have a lot of faith in what Sam Raimi is going to do with a new Doctor Strange because I've seen him do both uh, where he's mm-hmm. able to keep his voice through a big blockbuster and then not keep his voice through a big blockbuster
1: yeah I think he kept it is, mostly in the Spider-Man yeah. movies and like that, I, a movie I like but it, it's hmm. not a great Sam Raimi film is uh, Oz the Great and Powerful
0: you like Oz the Great and Powerful
1: I, I think I think it's got some fun ideas. I think it mostly works well as a film, but it just doesn't have that Sam Raimi panache, does it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Spider Man uh, 2, like that's a big blockbuster, but it still feels like a Sam Raimi film. Oh, yeah. Uh, His other Spider Man films, less so, I feel. I still feel more so than most, but anyway. Mm. Um,
1: Anyway, that is it.
0: But yeah, I I hope that they continue to hire interesting uh, filmmakers. And let them do what they want with this, these thousands of characters. Yeah. I, I get that there's, I mean, there's got to be
1: some limitations because we're all working together the, uh, well, on this. The, but the but, six, but this, this one could have been yeah. even more off in its own corner than yeah, it was.
0: The was. Yeah, the, the appeal of this series is that they all interconnect, that it is a TV mm-hmm. series. I understand that. I also... Don't find that terribly interesting. Uh, that's that's one of the least interesting. Well, now now it's the norm, isn't it? At first, story, it was yeah.
1: interesting just because they were doing it and yeah. they had never done it before, and now it's the norm, and now so, we, yeah, can we appreciate get... that. Okay, that's fine, mm. but sometimes it can hold us. Back instead of actually and freeing it. us for bigger things. Well,
0: and and now they're teasing characters that definitely don't have any mass pulp or mass yeah. appeal to like yeah. a broad audience. The car- any with the, 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 there's like like te- teasing like. Uh, the character of Quicksilver, for instance. Yeah. Some people might know who Quicksilver
1: is. Yeah, he read the X-Men comics. Mm. He was in there. Like you could, you could, when they did that there's at the a, end of whatever movie that was, it's like, oh, Quicksilver yeah. and Scarlet Witch are coming. There's, I know them.
0: Because this is a Marvel film, and I'm not going to say who it is, but there's a tease of other characters. Yeah. And I can guarantee you don't know who those people are. Yeah. And you don't know their significance in the Marvel universe. Nobody does. They're they're really really <laughs>
1: obscure. I I, I I know.
0: Of course, you know. No, I'm just
1: saying. Some people <laughs> do. But the mainstream, it's basically just like, oh, so there's just going to be a new character now. Yeah. That's kind of all we're getting out of it, and that feels like. It's kind of lazy It doesn't feel like a tease anymore at mm-hmm. that point It just feels like, the, like we're trying this to This is just part of the, the, the formula now Well it's not exciting the tease It's mm-hmm. not just like ooh Like at the end of Iron Man And I know that initially they didn't know what their plan was They just thought they'd try it mm-hmm. At the end of Iron Man A we meet Nick Fury and he's played by Samuel L. Jackson Fundamentally cool mm-hmm. But B he says hey I'm starting up the Avengers That's a promise That's something so, that's like and- ooh That's a big deal that's something and, and that no one's ever and done and before. But it wasn't
0: supposed to be a series. That yeah. was, uh, John Favreau said in interviews, that was just a gag for fans. We just thought that'd we, be neat. We we'd... weren't going to make Avengers. This was going to yeah. be the end of the whole thing. We're yeah. going to make if, one Iron Man film. Yeah. If it makes
1: money, maybe we'll get to do more. But if it doesn't, we had the fun tease. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the point is that that's like, that's tantalizing. That's like, ooh, how interesting. The post credit scenes in Eternals, without describing anything about them, none of that. Mm-hmm. At best, you might be interested in like the actor, maybe you know the character they're playing from the comics, but it doesn't open up the world. No. It doesn't suggest <laughs> something exciting and new. It's basically like, oh, maybe the, that character will get their own movie. And all that right cool i guess do, uh, a,
0: do a thing or something yeah, need i guess i don't know if worse things have happened and... that's a, but that but this widget ties into this other widget and there's Does gonna be it? a bigger story about anyway. magic widgets
1: anyway that one and venom let there be carnage mm. all, all all a lot of people wanted to talk about was the post-credit sequence and they were the least interesting things about both <laughs> movies the least in, interesting thing about both movies to in, me in the
0: in terms of venom it kind of wrecked what i liked about those venom movies yeah, yeah i agree
1: know anyway, we well, got we'll, we'll talk about we, that. We, we
0: anyway, thank you so much for listening to
1: Critically Acclaimed this week. Uh, we hope you're having a good week, month, life. Please keep doing that. Uh, and uh, yeah. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, there's several ways to do that. You can certainly send us an email. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email on an upcoming episode of our podcast, We've Got
0: Mail, also here on this channel. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? People who uh, like yeah, snail mail. Send us in an actual physical letter. I write it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California 90064. Yeah. And of course, we are
1: on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. Not Critically Acclaimed. Critic Acclaim. Uh, I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And of course, we want to give a very special shout out to all of our patrons, without whom this show, all of our shows, none of our shows would exist without our patrons, over mm. at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, if you join up, you can vote for future episodes of some of our shows. You get bonus <laughs> podcasts of uh, about Batman, every single episode of Star Trek, every single film ever nominated for Best Picture, commentary tracks, we do monthly hangouts. Uh, it's a lot. Mm. And that's coming up. Uh, Every single week Sometimes every single day Over at the Critically Acclaimed Network uh, Patreon So thank you to (laughs) all of our patrons Without whom we would not be here I'm just incredibly grateful Uh, And uh, and, uh, we just released a whole bunch of new soap On the Salt Cat Soap Store Over on Etsy You can follow us on Instagram And Twitter and Facebook At Salt Cat Soap Uh, And uh, yeah We have uh, some cool gift sets Available for the holidays Uh, We've got ornament soap We've got soap that smells like Gingerbread lattes Uh, We got a lot of uh, fun seasonal items uh, that just debuted over there. Uh, And thank you everybody who's already purchased from the store. We appreciate it. And the reviews have been really kind. I'm just very, very glad for that. Uh, So I think that's everything. That's everything for now. Cool. All right, we're out of here. Never forget. Everyone's a critic.
0: I want to go to the Midnight Show. I'm sorry, what? What?